Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, one of the pastors. Get a chance to do the bulk of the preaching, and we'll continue to do such this morning. So if you have your Bible, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 22, wrapping up chapter 2 today. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high. Uh, don't be shy. And one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Turn, hold your spot there. I got an announcement that affects all of us here in Redemption Tempe. Over the past seven weeks or so forth, um, we have been considering uh, an individual to bring on staff here to have a, a significant amount of leadership and a leadership role. Uh, so anyways, forget all the other stuff. Josh Butler is who we're hiring. Uh, and uh, yeah, so. <laughs> so, so just real quick, and so um, we were going to send something out, and we didn't, primarily because they, they bumped up the week of when they were going to announce it at his church out in Portland is where he's at. If you can remember, a couple weeks ago, Rick McKinley was here teaching um, he, at, from Imago Day Church in Portland. Josh is on staff with Rick, and then Rick uh, said that they wanted to announce it at their church this Sunday, and I figured if I don't announce it here at our church... I know how social media works. Someone's going to be like, congrats, Josh, from going to at Redemption Tempe. And then you guys will be like, oh, he didn't even say anything. They're hiding. What are they doing? Right? And so, so anyway, so we're letting you know um, this has been a process. Josh and myself and a few others, we've been friends for a long time. Um, Josh has spoken here at least twice for First Wednesdays. He's written a couple books, uh, Skeletons in God's Closet and The Pursuing God. Um, he's currently finishing a book right now on sexuality. Easy book. And... Uh, and, and then he will be done at Imago around May, and then he will move out here in July, which is the, most be the best time to be moving from Portland to Arizona. Um, I consider this a win for us as Redemption Tempe, to be honest with you, because Josh is a phenomenal leader. His wife, Holly, which is the same name as my wife, that's going to get confusing. Uh, like Ricardo, did, she just, did, did he just mention the illustration about Ricardo's wife? So we'll have to make sure that we, you know, Holly Butler, Holly Stewart. Um, and then also um, is um, we don't, we lose people in the summertime to move to the Northwest. We never win people from the Northwest in the summertime. So yeah, that's, that's like a, this has to be a God thing. So, uh, so we're excited for that. And lastly, I've always wanted to work with somebody who looked like Malcolm Gladwell. So I got an opportunity to be able to do that. So you'll hear more about that. I'll put something out, frequently asked questions and so forth about who Josh is. One of the ones that keeps coming up as we've done the interview process with staff and everybody else is, is this your exit plan? Um, no, um, this is actually my sustainability plan. So he'll come, I'll teach over the, you know, I'll try to live in Portland for the summertime, come back here. No, not my exit plan. So that's what announcement. You'll hear more about that later. Okay, you guys should be in Ephesians chapter two. Um, let me just do a, a quick recap where we've been and um, ultimately what we're going to look at this morning together. So Ephesians, we said, written by Apostle Paul to this church that was in Ephesus. This is a huge city, pluralistic city, meaning there are people who would believe in many gods, different beliefs, and so forth. Um, not only that, is that in this particular church, we have a predominantly amount of people who were Gentiles, people who were not a part of the story of what God was doing through the people of God and the Israelites. Um, we said that the predominant audience that Paul is writing to are Gentiles as we continue to read. Now, what we see is what sin has done in the world, in the cosmos. 
cosmos. That's the worldview that Paul has. He doesn't have a worldview that, that says that it's a simple gospel of somebody is separated from God and they need Jesus and they need to believe in Jesus and they can have eternal life, which is true, but he's looking at it from a particular worldview that is saying sin has done something in God's good world. It has separated heaven from earth. It has separated God from man. It has separated man from each other and even creation. And when Paul begins to write to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, chapter one, here's what God has actively done in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his sending of the spirit. That what Christ is doing is he's now reconciling heaven and earth. That, that in chapter two, we saw he's now reconciling um, God to man, that we are now saved by this grace. We're made right before God by this grace in which he's given us. The latter part of chapter two, through the same gospel, through the same Messiah, Jesus, that not only is God reconciling man to himself, but God in Christ is reconciling each other, primarily as Paul talking about Jew and Gentile. So we had two weeks on racial reconciliation. Um, we looked at chapter um, 11 or chapter 2, 11 through 18 for one week. We came back last week, um, taught on a bit, bit more, and then we had live texting Q&A. And if you weren't here, you're like, oh, I missed it. You did. And then this week, we're not doing that again. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to wrap up the section of what does it look like to live into this new humanity, this new society that has been created in Christ. What does it look like for Jew and Gentile, black, white, Asian, Latino, old, young, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, right? How does it look, what does it look like for us to, to look like and live into this new society of what God is doing in Christ Jesus? And so there's a few things that I have here from verse 19 to 22 to kind of wrap up this discussion. One is Paul shows this shift of what has happened in Christ that we've gone from alienation to reconciliation. That there's this shift that has happened in Christ that we went from hostility to now intimacy when he talks about us being a part of the family of God. That there's this shift that has happened in Christ cosmically that we've gone from the, the old temple to the new temple, or maybe a better way to say it is from a place of worship to a people of worship. And so that's what we're going to be able to look at this morning. So would you guys bow your heads, let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Jesus, we thank you that we can come in your name to approach the Father in which we may receive grace and mercies in time of need. We need you. We sing it, and yet sometimes our lives don't live in such a way that we need you. We show ourselves, Lord, to desire autonomy, to do things our own way apart from you, and that is not experiencing the love that you give us in your kingdom. And so, Jesus, we pray right now by the Spirit that you would draw us afresh to you, that we would hear good news, Lord, that it would grow us as a people. And for those who have never trusted and believed in you, that by your spirit, you would preach good news, that their lives, Lord, would be able to be entered into and be included into your kingdom of what you're doing in the work of Christ, Father. We pray that you would take this time, God, and that you would be glorified and the name of Christ would be exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is talking a lot about this in inclusion now of Jew and Gentile together, that we're in this new family. And there's these pictures that he gives us. One is the picture of a kingdom, these metaphors of like how the church participates. The next is the picture of family. And then last is, is temple. And these are all different ways in which Paul is trying to communicate this new society in which we are included. Um, all of us know, knows what it's like to not be included, right? Like we know what it's like from, from little kids all the way to adults. We know what it's like to, be, to not be included. Like we know what it's like to be on the playground and to be... Uh, like last picked 
or not picked at all, right? Oh, okay. All y'all was pickers, all right? It's, oh, not me, I was a, yeah, all right, whatever. Some of us know uh, what it's like, right? To, to not to be picked or, you know, to be picked last, not to be picked at all. And in that moment, you felt like you were wish you were a little bit taller. You wish you were a baller. You wish you had a girl who looked good, you would call her. You wish you had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a 6'4 impala, right? Right, right, right? You, you, you wish. So there's, there's, there's some real young people who are going like, what? Is that trap? No, that's not trap. That's when it was good. That's 90s. So we have, we have this, 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 this picture of what it's like to be on the outside. And Paul has been saying that um, all the way through chapter 2. You were separated. You were by nature children of wrath. Not good. But then God did something. He drew you in. Then he says to the Gentiles, you were outside of the covenant. You were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. But then God did something and you're included in. Now he's talking to an included people of Jews and Gentiles. And he begins to show this is what it ought to look like now. That those who were alienated are now reconciled. That those where there were hostility racially with people, now there's intimacy and your family. That those who had to travel and go to the temple because that's where God was working, now it's no longer the temple, but it's through the people of God that he is displaying his glory. And that's the new community that God has called us to participate in. Amen? That particular community is what we're trying to do here in Tempe, is to create a for-us community. And what I mean by for-us, that means that us is huge. That means the community becomes people who are made up of an eclectic group of people. People who are old, people who are young, people who are black, people who are Asian, people who are rich, people who are poor, people who followed all of God's uh, design and plan their whole life, and those who've been on the outside who just got in. Like all of these people that we begin a glimpse of what God is doing in all of creation that we just show in the way that we act in response to the gospel, a preview of what God is like and what he's up to. Amen? So Paul gives us this picture here. And the first is from alienation, um, alienation to reconciliation. Verse 19, chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says, so then, after all that he just said, separated from God, reconciled. Separated, Jew and Gentile, wall of hostility broken down by the blood of Christ. You are together. Verse 18, where we concluded on last week, is that you now, we all, Jew and Gentile, male and female, that we have access to the Father through Christ Jesus by one spirit. He goes, so then, so then, you are no longer strangers and you are no longer aliens. We hear that and we go, what does that mean? Strangers. Because we, we think of the word strangers is like you teach your kids a stranger danger, stay away from strangers. These were people who were living in a land who were sojourners. They, they would live in the land. They clearly had dignity because they were creating God's image, but they were not given rights as the people who were from the land. So in essence, they were told over and over again, you may live here or you may be here, but you're not from here and you're not going to be treated like we're treated. And that's the way they've experienced it. And Paul even started off saying, do you remember when you were separated? He's saying, you are no longer separated. You are no longer an alien. You are no longer a stranger. Like you not only just have a name, you have a place and you are welcomed here. 
that Jew and Gentile now go from this alienation, um, not just spiritually, even physically, to now being one, this one new man. And he uses a language of citizenship, and that language becomes a kingdom language. He's talking about his kingdom, not the kingdom in which they live in. Meaning Paul had a fundamental belief as he read scriptures, as we should have a fundamental belief as we read scripture, that every kingdom that exists, that is made and created by man, will at some point fall. So as Paul is writing this, in the Roman culture, Rome was big, like they were doing big things. They were succeeding. So that means... Paul writes this because he knows, listen, I read my Bible. I see what it says. I see what Daniel says. At some point, this kingdom's going to collapse. But there's another kingdom that is broken in, and the Messiah, the God-man, Jesus Christ, he's establishing a kingdom, and it ain't going nowhere. It's going to break in, and this kingdom, as it breaks in, will fully establish and remove all, all of the sin and chaos of this world and renew it, and the reign of God will be everywhere. He says, this is the kingdom in which you, who are now in Christ by faith, you belong in. You're not strangers to this kingdom. You don't only just have a name, you have a place in this kingdom. That you are a citizen, and whatever the rights are the rights of the king, you get an opportunity to experience because of what the king has done on your behalf. So, so he says, um, you, you used to be maybe a citizen of somewhere else. And that, hear me, this is not some dualism that is saying, if we're a citizen of the kingdom, that means we're not a citizen of America. Um, if you are an American citizen, guess what? You are an American citizen, right? However, what makes you the best American citizen ought to be the fact that you are part of the kingdom and that you are representing the king wherever you are, right? And there's privileges that, ha that come. There's rights that you get as a citizen. So I'm going to share a story here and keep consistent to the story that I'm sharing. I'm not sharing anything else outside of the story that I'm about to share. He said, why do you have to say that? Has he gotten emails? <laughs> Just listen to the story <laughs> as a story, not about anything else. I'm not trying to persuade you or convince you. I'm just telling a story. All right, so here's the story. Um, in 2007, 2008, I was a, um, I was a, a missions counselor for uh, the Arizona State University. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, we all went there. It's like 50,000 of us at one time. All right. Very unique, Ricardo. Listen, is that my role, which sounds like a missions counselor, always seems bigger than what it was. I was a person that would go to schools and say, if you had really good grades and so forth, we can get you a scholarship and you come to school here and so forth. Now, when I was getting hired, I was like, what, what cities am I traveling to? They're like, man, you could be in Seattle. We might have you in Houston. We might have you in LA. And I'm like, this is great. I'm about to travel. This is telling my wife. We had just gotten married. Like, hey, listen, I'm going to be gone sometimes, you know. I'm going to be gone to November. And so, and I'm traveling. And then the two, cities, the two cities I got were Yuma and Tucson, right? Hey, hey, everybody from Yuma and Tucson, much love, much love. Not the cities I wanted, much love. So I would drive that ridiculous-looking minivan <laughs> with the sticker on the side and drive down the Yuma and Tucson. Now, what that meant was you had Yuma and Tucson, and you had the surrounding cities and areas, and so I had a lot of border towns. And this particular um, 
what would happen is I would take the top 50 students, top 10 students, and every once in a while, a school would have a student that was so, ex so far exceeding that he or she was going to get not just partial money, but like a full scholarship. And I would come with really good news and say, because of your merit, you have a merit-based scholarship that's going to get you money. Like, you're going to be taken care of to go to school for four years, university paid for because of how well you've done and so forth. All you have to do is apply, you're going to get accepted, and then we're going to give you money, and then you should enroll the ASU. That's all I had to do. So I'm at Douglas High School in uh, Douglas, Arizona, and I'm there, and, and to, be, to be fair, the schools that were uh, lower income schools, they gave me all the time I wanted. It was awesome. Um, school, other schools were like, you got 10 minutes, and I'm like, all right, listen, you don't want your kids to go to school. Douglas was like, hey, we'll do an event. It'll be after school. We have all the top kids who you gave given us, and we'll give you two hours with these kids. I'm like, this is great. So I show up. I got nothing else to do. I'm in Douglas, Arizona, and so... I show up, and there's all these kids, and they're all, like, young uh, Latino, Latina kids, and there's one white kid at the class. So we're chopping it up. We're talking. And, and I'm, I'm, I, know I, I, you know, I like teenagers, and I'm rapping with the teenagers. And then, and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a joke. I'm like, dang, you're the only white girl in here, like a gringa. She stood up. She goes, Mr. Stewart, I'm more Mexican than anybody here. And I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, she's full Mexican. <laughs> and I was just like, I knew that. I knew that, right? And then I'm like, all right, tell me your name. She told me her name. She was my, the, you always had like that one per kid who was going to get it all. She was the one. I'm like, well, I got good news for you. And I told her, you're going to get all this money and so forth. All you got to do now is fill out the um, application. So do it online. We'd have the students do it online there. Our online process at ASU, real difficult. So five minutes later, when she was done, <laughs> no essay, nothing. We don't care if you can write. Um, <laughs> So, the, <laughs> so you, do, you, do, you do the process online, and what would happen is sometimes, especially in these border towns, a kid will come back and they go, Mr. Stewart, it says that I'm out-of-state tuition. What was happening is that meant they had parents who were undocumented, right? This is where I even had this language, right? This is 2007. I didn't have this language. And, and um, so she goes, I'm out of state. So what that meant was not only were, was the university not able to give the scholarship, um, she didn't even qualify for in-state tuition. And I'm like, are your parents not, can your parents get documented? I'm like, I, by the way, this is before I knew anything about that process. State of the story, because I'm only telling a story. And, and then, and then um, I said, she goes, my parents, I haven't seen my parents in four or five years. And I'm like, who do you live with? She goes, my grandparents, that's who's raised me. And I'm like, are they documented? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, there might be a way. So what happened was, even though she had worked really hard, she had done really well, she was not going to be able to receive this privilege because she didn't have that right. Unless somebody did something on our behalf. So this was September. Her grandparents finally went through a legal process to fully adopt her that she would actually now be a child of theirs in their family, and now because of them and what they've done and their rights, now she's able to step into these privileges. Guys, that is the gospel. There's no such thing as a merit-based scholarship when it comes to the kingdom of God. No matter how hard we work, no matter what we do, we don't get in unless the king says, I'm going to make them my children. 
When Paul says, you are no longer aliens and strangers, this is not just political language. It's not just kingdom language um, afar. It's very intimate language to say, yes, you are a part of the kingdom, no longer alienated, but reconciled. And now, not just hostility, but there's intimacy because you're now not just in the kingdom, but in the family of the king. Paul mixes these metaphors together in verse 19 when he says that now you have citizenship, he, he says here. Um, you're not strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You belong. You have the rights that God has afforded you. You're no longer strangers and aliens, citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What Paul said earlier, there was hostility between these two people, Jews and Gentiles. There's hostility still between people, people groups, political groups, so forth. There's hostility. But he's saying in the body of Christ, through his shed blood, that he broke down that wall. That, that not only did we go from alienation to reconciliation, but there's hostility removed in Christ, and that now there's intimacy. This is family language. When he says household of God, it's family language. It's what he said earlier in verse 18, that through the Spirit, through one Spirit, we all, that's Jew and Gentile, that's all of us, have access to our Father, that we have the same Father in Christ Jesus. And so there's family there, and you can't quit on family. You can try. We've all tried, right? You can't quit on family. I'm talking to my sister the other day, and my sister is hilarious. And so we're talking about something, and she starts going on a rabbit trail and talking about some nonsense, and I'm disagreeing with her. I'm like, Keisha, I'm about to hang up this phone. And she's like, no, you're going to hang up the phone. I'm still your big sister. I'm like, listen, I don't have time for this. I'm about to hang up the phone. 20 minutes later, I'm still talking to Keisha on the phone, right? <laughs> Because that's my sister, and she still is my big sister, and she's always going to be my big sister, right? And there's a sense of going, um, I wildly disagree with everything you're saying here, but we're still family. Like, we're still together. And that family, it, it's like, it, it's pretty tight. Um, now, usually when we give family illustrations, we talk about, like, intermediate family, like my wife, my kids. Um, maybe we talk about, uh, you know, intermediate family, brother, sister. When it comes to the household of God, he's talking about all Christians everywhere at every time. So we got this large family. And let's just be honest, you're usually closer to the people who are your, your family members that are closer to you, all right? That's just, that's just the way it is. This, that next month, I have two cousins that are graduating from college. One's graduating in Mississippi, one is graduating in New York. And they're like, are you going to go to both? I'm like, we can't afford to go to both. We're going go to go to KJ's. And they go, how come you're not going to go to Sean's? And I said, be honest with you. I know KJ a little bit more. I love Sean. Sean's mom, my aunt, she'd be okay with this missing. If I miss anything at KJ, my aunt still might whip my butt. So I got to go, right? I got to figure it out, right? There, there, there's the reality that you have family members that you're close to, but you're still family. And I know sometimes that language is hard, but Paul is saying that there's probably people in your, your family that you haven't met yet, right? We all have people that we meet at a family reunion or something. We go like, you're related to me? You don't really know that person, and you got to spend time to know that person. Some of our families, my family, the way we work, is Holly comes from a pretty small family, and I, I come from a pretty big family, and we just include everybody to our family. Like, they, they some of y'all laughed. Y'all was like, yeah, we know, right? Like, you have families like that. My, and so my, Noah, my oldest son, is always like, is that a real cousin, or is that a, and I'm like, man, if I said he's a cousin, he's a cousin. You know, family. But there's always somebody you meet, and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. And then you get to know, sometimes there's people in your family you get to know a little bit more, and you realize the name you've been calling them wasn't even their real name, right? And it's like, wait, that's not your name? 
No, it's never been my name. That's just what we call it. <laughs> Here's my birth name, right? Um, and you have to spend time with that family to get to know them. I don't know if we do a really good job at spending time with each other. And that's why we don't ever achieve intimacy. We can get some facts about people. We might get some thoughts about people. We can come up with maybe some judgments about people. But I don't know if we really know them because that actually takes time. That doesn't happen in three sermon series. That doesn't happen um, by standing in line and taking communion as beautiful as that is. And it doesn't happen in rows. In fact, the safest way to do this, to actually be one and yet different, is in rows. One person speaking, you all listening in rows, as opposed to looking at each other, listening to each other, disagreeing with each other, loving each other, maybe fighting with each other, and then walk away and still being one because you have one father. Like, you know what it's like when you disagree with somebody in your family, right? Either, depending on what family you're in, either you don't say anything, you get in the car and go, you know what I was going to say, right? Or you um, hash it out, and everybody hashes it out differently. In my family, <laughs> everybody talks at the same time. But you try to deal with it. Um, you're, when you're in family, there's going to be disagreements. When you're with the family, even with those local family members here at this church, you're going to have disagreements about a lot of stuff, more than just like surface-level stuff, not more than just sports or something like that, more than just art or something like that, probably something that is really close to you. You, you, you ever been to dinner with somebody, and then they start talking about something? Or how about this? Have you ever had the experience where you, you say something and you think everybody kind of agrees with you, only to realize they don't, right? You ever have that, like, oh, you know how we all... And everyone's like, no, we, we all don't. Uh, or, or what it feels like to be the opposite, where someone's talking to you and you're like, you know what it's like. So, so th this is a silly illustration, but the other day um, we're coaching, we coached the kids in football or baseball, and then one of our coaches is like, guys, we can't just white knuckle our way through it. And by the way, eight out of the 11 kids are black kids. And he goes, and then one of the kids goes, what's white knuckles? He goes, no, when you take your knuckles and you, not the best illustration, right? It's not, we don't get it, right? And so, and so like, you had that sense of going, okay, we're going to use a different next time. So we've had that. I'm going I'm to I'm out myself now. I'm going to out myself. Years ago, when we first took this job, we were out to eat with a bunch of different people, a bunch of families uh, hanging out in the backyard. And I, the Time Magazine article had just come out, and it's a picture on the, on the, on the you guys probably remember this. It was a lady uh, nursing her child who was like 15 or something like that. And, and it was just like this controversial deal. I read the article and I, I just brought it up at the table. And I'm like, hey, this is crazy. Like there's these people <laughs> out there somewhere who, who actually have their children sleep in the same bed with them for like years. They're crazy. These people. Ah! I walk away, go get a drink. Holly comes up to me and she goes, hey, hmm. <laughs> Right? Usually, what, usually that means, mm. she goes, just before you sat down, every single one of those moms were just talking about that's what they do. I'm like, are you serious? So I walk back and I'm like, that is an amazing strategy for, for parents. I got to try it. I got to try that. I got to try that. I got to try it. I got to try it. You know? Can't knock it till you rock it. Right? That happens. The question is, if you're one... Do you say because you do something so different than me, because you voted something so different than me, uh, because you choose to spend your money so differently than me, because you parent your kids so differently than me, that we can't be one in Jesus? 
because it seems like the Bible is teaching that that's not a possibility for us as Christians, even for those of us who feel like we've given a lot up to be in this space. That's kind of what it looks like to carry your cross in this particular area in order to live into the resurrection as opposed to, to walk away from it. So this is not a theory. This is something that Christ has already done that we can choose to enter into or to step out. And I think Christ is calling all of us that we're going to enter in and you're going to constantly be offended. You're going to constantly be saying things that offends others. You're going to constantly have to be asking for forgiveness. You're going to have to constantly be giving grace. It's the way that family and relationship works. Amen? And we all have access to one king and all we're trying to do is mimic and reflect that king, not ourselves. So alienation to reconciliation, hostility to intimacy, and lastly, uh, new temple, or old temple to new temple, or a place of worship as opposed to a people of worship. So Paul continues here, and he says that we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that is Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we said this. There was a tabernacle. It was a place where God's glory was, where heaven and earth met. And then Solomon built the temple for God, and then um, the glory of God was there, and especially in the Holy of the Holies. And now the Israelites knew that there's no way they can contain all of who God was in there, but that was a place where you would go, the pilgrimage to worship. They built the, after that was torn down by Nebuchadnezzar, they built the new one, the glory wasn't there. They have the temple that Herod the Great built, or that we see about the New Testament, and there's temples there. And many of the Jewish people believe that's what God was doing. He was moving through the temple, and God was going to work and advancing history towards its end through the temple. Well, then Jesus comes on the scene, and he now becomes where heaven and earth meet, that he embodies all of who God is. He says, you want to know what the Father is like? Look to me. That he becomes the glory of God that's revealed to man. That he becomes the light that has stepped into the world of all of us who were dark. So, spiritually, right? And so he becomes that. What we have now is that the way in which heaven and earth are met in, are in Jesus. And now Jesus begins to create a people, a new people, that he places his glory in by the Spirit. So, so here's what he's saying is now. We are being built up into something. The metaphor of the kingdom that we see, we see the, the metaphor of the church's family, and then temple, the way that God is working and advancing his kingdom, displaying his glory, happens to be through people like you and I. That is really hard to, to fathom. The way Paul says it in the, New, in, in, in the Corinthians is that we are like jars of clay that he's displaying his, his glory in, like styrofoam cups. And yet God is pouring, pouring out his spirit and his glory through that, that the world may know. And he gives us a picture of what it's like. He goes, this particular structure, it's, it's actually built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And not these people in their, themselves, like these particular men, it's the teaching, the revelation that we have that God has spoke through them, and that we have this word of God, which is our highest degree of authority, that we, that we believe the word of God reveals to us who God is and what God is like and what God is up to, how we can know this God, how we've offended this God, how we can be forgiven by this God. And then that the way in which we grow up is, is not by anything other than knowing the, what the apostles have taught, that is the word of God. So hear me, we cannot grow as a church, we cannot be sustained as a church if we don't know or understand the word of God. 
Like, like, like the word of God. Like we went through a whole year where we said we're going to read the Bible through a whole year. If we ever said, hey guys, you know what? We've done a lot of Bible stuff. We're going to take a pause on that for a year. We're just not going to preach the Bible. Okay, run. Run. Pray for me because like something happened. Um, and then... And then run. Like, there's no way we can be the church, live out the kingdom, be reconciled, be one, without being nourished and saturated in the word of God. And he says, the cornerstone of this building, meaning that which everything else is built off of and that which everything is aligned is none other than Jesus Christ. I know we should know that. But we have to understand here, he didn't say it's the people of Israel. It's Jesus Christ. He didn't say, it's the people on the margins. It's Jesus Christ. No political ideology. It's Jesus Christ, his kingdom. So how do we relate to all these different areas? Through Jesus Christ. And that means the way in which we look at the world cannot be we bring ourselves, our thoughts, our ideologies, um, our processes, and we come to God and go, okay, where can this fit in in what you're doing? No, God in Christ has brought his kingdom here so that we believe in Christ and we realize how we can fit in and what he is doing. So whatever we have and how we live has to flow from the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the spirit of Jesus Christ in order for us to actually be a church. And then when that's happening, Paul says, we're being built together and we're growing this is over time. This is not just redemption Tempe. This is the church in the world. And as we're growing, we are actually um, being the temple. We are functioning as a temple, as a priesthood of believers, not just the holy of holy priests, our high priests. All of us, men and women and children in Christ, are displaying our gifts, our talents in such a way in response to the cornerstone, who is Christ, that we are displaying the glory of God that the world may know. That we're witnesses. And the way this is done is by realizing we are separated from God and he's so good in his grace that we're made together, one. We were separated from each other and now we are, we are one in him. Not the same, but we are one. So all the stuff we talked about the last couple weeks and race and reconciliation, if, hear me, if we, this is not a suggestion of the Bible. It's not a suggestion. It's not an and if you get to it of the Bible. If you have the resources of the Bible, this is something that is a mandate of saying this is what Christ has done. Either you step into the work of God and fulfill it or you step out of it and you live in disobedience. So as we come together as one, as hard as that could possibly be, that we begin together to display the love of God that the world may know. Amen? So let me give you just one implication. And that is time together. And time is a long time to know each other. You gotta get to know that there's family members in your life that you don't know that you gotta get to know. You gotta get to know. So a few weeks ago I was preaching and I looked out and I saw this lady. I, I can see you by the way when I'm when I'm preaching. I would love to just give some like some comments that I've seen, but uh I mean you give me comments, I should be able to give you comments, so uh but I'm, but I'm not. <laughs> so I look out, and I see this, this lady. I'm like, man, it looks like my cousin. Now, mind you, I haven't seen her in over 20 years, since we were like 15. And I'm like, no, that can't be her. So I'm preaching, and I come back, and I look, and I'm like, that looks like her. I'm preaching. So after the service, I go out there, and she walks to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's her. 
And I'm like, what? Like, what? You, what? Like, where? Ah, we got 20 years. I only got 10 minutes. Like, how are we going to catch? And she's just like, yeah, I was out here. I've been living out here for a while. And I heard somehow that maybe you might be preaching at this church. I was like, oh, I'll go check out. I'm like, oh, wow, there, there he is. Like, wow, like, he's a pastor. Wow, he's a pastor. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm like, this is crazy. And this is the way family works, unfortunately, is I said, when was the last time we were together? She goes, at your grandma's funeral. So our grandmas were sisters. And when my grandma passed away when I was in junior high, like that side of the family, there was just no more connection, right? So someone who I'd grown up with were the same age, all this, man, so what, you got a kid, you got a kid, she goes, yeah, I got a, I got a 10-year-old, like I got a nine-year-old. So I said, you got to bring him to church. So the next week she brought him to church. Um, and after service, I'm like, I'm meeting her, her, her son. I'm like, man, what's up, man? You know, we're, we're cousins, like we're related. And my son, my oldest son, he desires to have family here so bad, like biological family right? He so wants family here. So he comes, I'm like, Noah. I said, this is your cousin, Danny. He's like, what? You're my cousin? He goes, we were just in the same class together, right? <laughs> I said, think about that. Think about that. You could be in the same class and you didn't even know you were cousins. Many of us go to the same church. We go to the same service. We do the same thing. We come in and we leave and go out. We don't even know who our family members are in Christ. We know nothing about them. If we had that kid-like wonder of going, if God has done all this, we should have that, whoa, you're my family, you're my brother, you're my sister. Let's take some time to get to know each other. Let's take a long time to get to know each other. None of this happens overnight. This is the work we have to do. So hear, hear me. If you're a person that comes to this church um, and you come and you leave, you got to come and actually participate. Like, we need you to participate. And that's not just... You need to give money. That's you need to give your time, your talent, your resources. We need to know who you are. And not I need to know who you are. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to set up a meeting with Ricardo. No. Like, no. You start by just saying, how do I, how do I work in this family? If you grow up in a big family, this is what you know. There is a to-do list that gets put on the refrigerator. And my mom would always say, boy, your name better be up there somewhere. When you're a part of the household of God in this particular expression, this local church, there's a to-do list of loving, of caring, of serving, of sharing. Just make sure your name's somewhere, right? The whole race and reconciliation thing, it doesn't, hap- it doesn't happen. It only happens through relationship. And relationship is built, best built as we're neck to neck actually doing something together. Not just believing the same Christ, but actually serving the same Christ by tangibly caring for the needs of those around us. And so if you're like, man, I, but that's me, is he, is he calling me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm just saying it's pointless for us to continue to grow as a church numerically, and yet we all know each other. We're not serving. We're not, actually, we're not actually family. And if you're going, well, I've been here, and I'm serving now. What do you want me to do? More. And I don't know what more. And I'm not saying you've got to, like, watch children, you know, you know watch, participate in children's ministry three times a day. I'm saying just, just invite somebody else in your life that doesn't look like you and spend a long time building those relationships. And you're saying, well, I'm already doing that. Do more. Do more, and do it in the strength that comes from Christ. It's the only way we're going to be able to do it. The only way we're going to do it is not by sermon series. It's actually by us doing the work of getting to know our family members and realizing we are at odds in a lot of things, but yet we're one and we will remain one in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that you were, you were good. Father, naturally, we are not like you, and yet through the Spirit, you are making us like you and more like Christ and conforming us to the image of Christ. 
in the image of Christ, Lord, is a tapestry of so many different types of colors and people, so many different types of stories and backgrounds, circumstances and situations that we all meet at the foot of the cross, Lord, where there is a level playing field. And that through the blood of Christ, Lord, that we've been washed and renewed. And through the resurrection, Lord, we've been unleashed to be a part of your poem, the work that you are doing in the world in various places and times. And God, that we can live into the fullness of what you have for us by the Spirit. So Lord, I pray that we would live deeply into this union that we have in Christ and that everything we do, Lord, will be drawn from this, this union that we have with you. That there be a sweetness to our lives of Christ not only individually, Lord, but corporately as a people, Lord, that we'd be saturated in the presence and the power of Christ in the Spirit. God, that we'd be overwhelmed by the love of God and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be central to everything that we do and that when we don't understand how to have helpful lens and, and grids to look through, Lord, that you would help others come alongside. I pray that we would not just be a church that gathers, Lord, be a church that truly knows how to love and be in community. Lord, being able to weep with those who weep, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Confess when it's hard to weep because we want to rejoice and confess, Lord, when it's, we want to rejoice and yet others are weeping, God, that we would just be honest. We pray that we'd be centered in Christ, constantly known how we are loved in Christ, and collectively, Lord, be a witness of who Christ is and what he's doing in the world and establishing his kingdom. Father, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We get an opportunity to respond to the word of God um, as he has it for our lives. And so we take this moment to listen to the Holy Spirit and whatever it is that God has for you and us. Um, in just a moment, one of the guys will come lead us in the time of response.